Good to see everybody today. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. Thank you. Maybe you're still trying to get it all in, even though it is over. So one holiday quickly gives way to the next. I hope you know that. We are already four Sundays away from the Christmas holiday. And so put Thanksgiving away, essentially. It's time to get ready for Christmas, which means it's time for us to jump into our Advent series, which we've done traditionally over the last couple of years. So here's what we're after this year in the Advent series. This is really what we're after every year in the Advent series, and I'll set it up like this. That at my house, this time of year, um, we're getting ready and excited to celebrate Christmas. We love the Christmas season. We have a chalkboard on our wall that helps us count down the days. It's actually been there all year, so we've been counting down for a long time. It's right beside our home phone, and yes, we still have a home phone. Um, we have it primarily because we have two sons, neither of which we trust with cell phones, but both of which are completely capable of harming one another while we're away. <laughs> and so we're like, what would a good parent do if one brother broke another brother's bone? We would need to give them a way to call for help. And so that is literally the only reason we have home phone. Sort of like the bat phone to call for help. But nevertheless, it's where it hangs. Um, we count down all kinds of things. There are people from time to time that will hijack the chalk so our daughter's friends will come in. We've counted down the days to Abby's birthday. And Abby's awesome, so it's okay. We'll count down that too while we count down to Christmas and John's birthday and whatever else. But we're ready for Christmas. We love it, which the, the Christmas celebration includes what? So we're getting ready for all kinds of things. For us, it includes getting together with family. And our family's pretty big, so that takes some planning. So have you started planning that? Like, how are we going to get everybody under the single roof at least for a couple of hours? And so in some families, that takes work, and so we're working on that. Food is a part of it. What are we having and who's bringing what, which is kind of a big deal for us. You guys planning that? All that goes. Gifts. We're trying to think about who are we going to buy for and what are we going to buy. I'm actually excited for it this year. It's a little different this year for us because it's my wife's idea. And it's not just like, okay, here's the list or this is what I want. And we're really giving it some thought. The kids are old enough to buy one for another now, and so... What would you get them? So, you know, something small but significant that you know that they would really like, that would really bless them. And they're into it. They're much to our surprise. <laughs> they're like, so I'm looking forward to the gift part of it. Our tree is up before Thanksgiving. Thank you very much. It's a white fake tree that's really old, and it's, it's so old it's yellow. If you walked in and saw it, you'd be like, oh my gosh, it's brown. <laughs> I wonder if they know how brown it is. We know how brown it is, but we don't really care. It's our tree, and part of the camouflage is it's covered with, with bulbs that my wife brings into the house, and the bulbs match her personality, I think is the way I would say it, so maybe be careful with this. Like, how would I say it? There's a lot going on with a tree <laughs> that isn't boring. So <laughs> you hardly notice the brown, is what I'm saying. And uh, Christmas music is playing through our house. And for us, it really is one of the most wonderful times of the year. We like it. And here's the deal. There's nothing wrong with that. Do that. Like whatever, all those things, family and food and gift giving and all that stuff, it's it's great and enjoy it. We're definitely going to enjoy it. But here's what's possible in the midst of all that, which is really what we're after. It's possible in the midst of all of that, that God never really gets a mention or never really gets celebrated. 
And I'm, I'm not someone who's going to try to make the cultural Christmas and everything it's become. Like, we have to make it about God and we have to fight against it. I'm not really saying that. It's, I don't think we're ever going to do that. Like, cultural Christmas has taken over and it's about a whole bunch of things. But, but God gets pushed over to the side. Maybe no mention at all. Maybe no celebration of God at all. And that's really where Advent comes in. Advent means this. It really just means the first two words, the coming, and then as it relates to God. So if you're confused by that, why does the church call it that? Why do we do this? It just means this. The, the church is adamant about saying, all right, this is about when God came or the coming of God. And it's something that the church established historically and traditionally to make sure that the people of God during Christmas celebrate God because it's completely possible that we don't. I mean, he's a good Christian family, and he never gets a mention. And so someone has to fight for that, and that's really what Advent in Advent is. It's the fight for God. It's not really against Christmas. Who cares? Do all that stuff. Whatever. But at the same time, someone's got to fight for it. Let's make sure that God is celebrated too, and the church fights for that. And so we're going to fight for that in your own families and give you reasons to do that, to celebrate and worship God while we do everything else so long as he stays Central. So the messages through Advent are going to be from the Christmas story. They'll be around the first Advent or the first coming. And what we'll do is we'll find things about God that are revealed in there. So just by reading the story, we'll pick up some of who God is and what he's like, and we'll grab that and hold that up as right and true and give you a reason to celebrate God this Christmas. But in addition to the couple of messages that we'll have leading up to it, we're also going to give you an Advent guide this year, something kind of different. It's just a um, it's a resource for you as a family to help keep God central this season. And there are personal devotions in here. Some of it will tie to the Sunday service. Some of it won't. There are family devotions in here. I'll just read you a page from family. This is week one. For instance, it said, read together the Christmas story at the beginning of the guide. So at the beginning of the guide, we'll have the, the Advent story as it's recorded in the Bible. And then also in the Jesus Storybook Bible, read page 170 or whatever. So it gives you a little to-dos. Both of these are available. So the Storybook Bible is available at Kids Check-In, and there's like you know, 10 or 15 of those, and they're 10 bucks. You can pick those up. And then the Advent Guide is available at guest services out there. I think we made 30, but you can go, um, also you can go to our website and download it. Or you can get the PDF version. But inside of it, it just gives you like little teaching points, then ways to pray and cool activities to go do, all for the effort of of fighting to keep God central in the midst of this. Hey, do everything else. It's great. I'm not fighting against that. Just do this too. And we'll, we'll help you to keep him central. So we'll do that. And today, starting first message from Luke chapter 1. So Luke chapter 1 is, it's the leading up to the birth of Jesus, the arrival. We're going to actually jump in before he gets there. And the parts that we'll look at in Luke chapter 1 are two. There are there are two recorded responses of people when they actually figure out that Jesus is on the way, it produces something in them. I like them. One is from Mary and the other is from Zechariah. Two different people, they're made aware that God's doing something. Jesus is on the way. They wouldn't know it like that, but all they know is that God is, he's doing something, something big is coming, and it produces this song. What we're actually going to read, there are two songs. Um, and they just sing them. And here's the thing I like about them. They don't even think about it. It's just in light of what God is going to do, it produces this over, 
flow of thanksgiving, and it just pours out. So I want to read what they have to say first, and then uh, I'll kind of show you what we're going to do with it. So this is Mary, and she finds out God's going to do something. This is in light of the advent of, of the first coming, and this is what she says. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. That's my favorite verse in all that we'll read today. He who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He has shown or his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, exalted those in humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Hallelujah. Like, she's singing it, all right? So she's excited, and it's, she's not thinking about it. It's just coming out because that's what she knows for sure God has done for her. And what sparked it was the, this arrival that's on the way. Right after that, then, Zechariah, it's, it's the same idea. He sings something very similar. He just says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouths of his holy prophets of old, he told us he was going to do this, and now he's actually doing it. That we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us. And man, there's so many people that hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. Both of them are talking about Abraham. We'll get into that. To grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Hallelujah. I love it. And it just goes on. And that, that's what I love. They know exactly what they love about God. And it comes out without even thinking. A, a working title for this message was, Become an Expert in the Goodness God Has Shown You. So what goodness has he shown? This is what comes out of them. They don't even think about it. What would come out of you? A lot of times, the only thing we're an expert on when it comes to God is what he hasn't done for us. We're all pretty familiar with that. Like, thanks a lot. You know, I'm serving you down here. So we're really good at that sort of thing, but without even th thinking about it, what, what would come out of you? Here's my question, actually become the title. How has he been good to you? And I want to use this. We're going to look at what they have to say about God, God, and hold it up as right and true, and it's reason to celebrate him. But I hope that leads us to our own song. There's actually a spot at the end in the bulletin day where we would give it some thought for ourselves. All right, well, that's what they said, but how has he been good to me? And if we could spend some time to get that down and keep that central, I think that God could say centered and celebrated in the midst of the season. So that's where we're headed today through Luke chapter 1. So let's pray and then we'll get there. I'm Lord, I'm thankful for the opportunity to go to your word. I really do value it. It's the only thing that changes us. And I just, I pray that we could shut everything out. We've got so much going on. And so we come in here, we'll give you just a little bit of time this week. So help us to hear exactly what you have to say. And may it spark in us. We're going to hear all about how awesome you are. And that's, but it's what other people say. May it lead us to come up with our own, really give you some thought as we walk into this season. So grant us that, and I ask it in the good and great name of Jesus. And everybody said, 
All right, so would you be familiar with, probably all would, a season in your life or a time where you would say it seemed like God really wasn't there or if he was there, he really didn't care? So you're Christian, you're doing the thing, you're going to church, you're doing all this stuff, whatever, but still, in spite of all that, maybe life isn't exactly going the way you would like it to go and you would find yourself saying, yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's just... I'm not feeling it. It's not there. I don't know if he cares. If he does care, he needs to wake up because look at the trajectory of my life. It's not, things are kind of, right? And it creates something in you. It's, it's actually hard to praise. We talked about it last week. We said, it's that time where you lose your saltiness. Remember, you are the salt of the earth, but if you lose your saltiness, you lose your flavor, you're flat, you're foolish, you're graceless and insipid. Those are the four words we used. And you're just sort of like, ah, forget it. Where, where is he? In those seasons, and I think we would all admit they're there, and it's harder to find good things. Like, those are really hard times to, like, find anything good to sing about God. It's like the last time you're going to sing anything good about God. Well, that's the kind of season Mary and Zechariah are in. So I, want, I don't want that to be lost on us. They are part of the people of God, and at this point in the story, people of God haven't heard from God in 400 years. And the people of God are never good at that. When they have to wait for anything, it turns into bad things in their heart. So they haven't heard from them since the prophet Malachi. That was, in the, that was the last time God spoke through someone a word to them to encourage them or cause them to repent in any way. So if you remember, so he's the last prophet in the Old Testament, that is when God had allowed his people the Israelites, to come back from captivity and to reestablish in the land that God gave Abraham. So I'm going to a little review here. Do you remember we did that? Down the center, this is the land that God gave Abraham. Things didn't go well here, and so he brought enemies against them. Israel came over, or Assyria came over, and Israel scattered. Babylon came over and scooped them up and did what? Carried them into captivity. captivity. Then Persia took over and let them come back. And then they came back in three waves. The first wave with, was with Zerubbabel, and he rebuilt the temple. The second wave was with Ezra, and he rebuilt the people. And the third wave was Nehemiah, and he rebuilt the wall. And things were good right here. And do you know what they were waiting on? This is interesting. It was all good. Before, before they were taken off in exile, they had kings. They lost all their kings when they went over. When they came back, do you know they didn't put one over themselves? They just left it with priests and waited for, because this is what God was saying, I'll send you a king. Don't pick one for yourself. I'll send you one. And so they were waiting, and they were waiting, and then it didn't happen soon enough, and then they're just like us. What happens when you have to wait? Forget it, I'm out. Right? Too long. It is the, it's the number one thing that causes us to stumble. If God wouldn't make us wait so much, we would follow him better. I'm convinced of it, but it like... No, I'm out. And so they start to crumble, and that's when Malachi speaks. And if you read Malachi, it stings a little bit because they're, they're like, you're doing it again, and you're, it's, it's, it's a harsh word. And then after he speaks, then it goes silent. 400 years. Remember that? 400 years of silence, and then, okay, so Christ is coming, but we're right there in the story. So the communities of people that Mary and Zechariah are in, they're not like, oh, we're God's people and it's great. They're like, I think he's forgotten us. So things are down. This is not a time of thanksgiving and praise. And then into that, God sends Gabriel. 
He sends an angel from heaven to break the silence. And for whatever reason, he picks these two. He picks Mary, who's like in this, inside the people of God. I mean, she's like less than nothing. She's way down there. Zechariah, he is a priest, so he's a little bit of somebody, but still nobody's looking for him to do anything with these two. And he chooses after 400 years to send an angel, and he, he breaks into both of their lives. That's the first part of Luke chapter 1, and he says what? What's the first thing angels always say when they show up? Chill. Don't be afraid, because everyone freaks out, like, it's okay. And what does he say? God hasn't forgot you. You know that king you were waiting for way back there in the land that God gave Abraham? The king is coming. He's sending it. And Mary, you're in the game now because you're going to have this king. And Zechariah, your kid's going to tell everybody else he's here. So you're in. And they're like, what? Seriously? This is really what you're doing? And I love what Gabriel says. He says, listen. I stand in the presence of the Lord. I come from where he is. Now, I don't know how it all works. I don't know where heaven is. I don't know where God has a throne and he's sitting on it. I don't know. But wherever he is, that's where Gabriel is. I come from the presence of the Lord. And listen, I came straight from him to you. He sent me directly from him to tell you this good news. And they sing. That's what comes next. They're like, really? And they just bust out in song. So this is what they sing. All right, here's their response. The first thing, I found this interesting. If you look at both of their songs, they're similar. So they say the same thing. So in no particular order here, here's the song of Thanksgiving that just comes bubbling out of them. The first thing they both say is, or it's, it's in their song somewhere, is, you remembered. You didn't forget. It's the one thing. Mary says it like this. You remembered the mercy that you promised our fathers. And then she refers to Abraham. Zechariah said, you told us through your prophets you wouldn't forget the covenant, the promise that you made with our father Abraham, and you didn't. So both of them, if you were to pick kind of a verse one of their song of thanksgiving, it was like, God, you are a promise keeper. And so there's room in your bulletin to write underneath here. You can put the notes under both of their songs if you want to. Um, but this is what they're singing. And they both refer to Abraham. So... I'm going to catch us up here. When God started the sending of Christ, he started with Abraham, he made him four promises. So I don't expect you to remember those, but the promises were this. Abe, I'm going to make you a nation, which was odd because he's really old. His wife's really old. They got no kids. He's like, you're going to be the father of many nations. Okay. So nations, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. That's three. And four is... All families on the planet are going to be blessed through you. Something's coming through you with this people that's going to bless everyone. Here's the deal. Those are the four. Here's the deal with Abe. How many of the four did he see happen? Two. There was a, he did not see himself become a nation. All right? didn't long enough, he didn't live long enough to see. Like he had one kid, two kids. I mean, that's all he had. So he didn't see one, and he didn't see the last one. How, how are all families going to be blessed? But with half of what he saw, he saw two of the promises. This is, this is huge. It says, and he believed God, even though he couldn't see how it was possible, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Boom. That's the blessing right there that's coming. That's, that blessing right there, credited righteousness. Because listen, 
Abe couldn't get righteous on his own. If you read his story, he fumbles and bumbles all the way through. So he's not, he's not knocking it out of the park with God. And the only way he's ever going to be right is if God says, you're right. I'm going to credit you this. And he does it based upon his, his faith. Listen, God just wants to be trusted. He just wants to be believed in. He knows we can't do what he says. I mean, we, we can't ever work it out. But if we trust him, then he credits righteousness. And that's what happened. Now, Mary and Zechariah did see the third promise because they were around long enough to see Abe become a nation, right? They're a part of it. So God is keeping it. Now, so like one, two, three, and now four. Now, here's how the fourth one, all nations or all families are going to be blessed through Abe. Here's how it's coming true. And I'll show you in Romans chapter 4. I don't even have to preach it. All I have to do is read it because it explains it perfectly. This is how the last one, how God's going to keep that promise. It actually comes all the way to you and I. In hope, he, this is Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. And listen, he had every reason not to believe because he's old and so is his wife. He did not weaken in his faith when he considered his own body, which had been as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to the Lord. Now, I like this next one. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So what's he banking on? Is he banking on anything that has to do with him? No, nope, like, God, if you're going to do this, it's going to have to be all you. So fully convinced he believed and that is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. That is an unbelievable blessing. That is the blessing everyone in here needs. Unless I'm wrong and someone in here is awesome enough to be right with God all on your own. If not, stay tuned. This is what we need. This blessing has to come. And here's how it comes to us. But... The words, it was counted to him, were not written just for his sake alone, but for ours also, because here's what's coming with Christ. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for the trespasses and raised for our own justification. So here's our opportunity to be fully convinced by God, even though we can't see it, and it's tied to Christ, who is going to come down and say, I'm going to take the sin of the world on me, and I'm going to remove it. It is finished forever. And it's that place that God says, you are, what's the last word? Justified. The cross is the place where God says, I declare you innocent, which is, as we talked about last week, a joke. How many of you know you're not innocent? But it's the place where God says it. Now, how can it be? Are you confused by that? I'm like, do I totally understand it? But if God says, this is my plan and this is how it works and I trust him, then that blessing of counted right becomes mine. And that, that is the blessing that every single one of us needs. Of all the blessings God would give you, trade them all for that one. Because that's the one every single, we've got nothing if we don't have that. And it's coming, it's on the way, the arrival of this one who we would believe in is coming and it's through Christ. And so for the fourth promise way back here, is it happening? Did it happen? Has it been made available? Absolutely. And God is a promise keeper. Now, does Mary know that? Does Zechariah know that? Like, 
here's what's happening, everyone. It's credited righteousness. Let me break down Romans 4 for you. No, Romans 4 hasn't been written yet. So are they in still some way unclear about what God is doing? Yeah, but they know he's doing something, and they see him as one who keeps his word. So he's a promise keeper. Two, the next part of their song would be mighty. This is my favorite verse. I told you that. They both are singing about what God has done for them. So it's, it's the tune that's coming out of them. God, you're a promise keeper, and you are mighty. Now, how has he worked himself mighty? She says, he who is mighty has done great things for me. In what way, well, just for a moment, think about that for yourself. Does that have any application in your life? He who is mighty has done great things for me. Now pause and think about it. He who is mighty has done great things for me. Has anything come to mind? And he who is mighty has done great things for me. And, that, and they just know right away. Now, what sort of mighty things has, has God worked mightily in the lives of these two, Mary and Zechariah? <laughs> yeah. We have a pregnant virgin here. Is that mighty? Like immaculate conception. Immaculate means pure, undefiled by a man, and yet pregnant. Is that mighty? All right, so she's got something to sing about. Zachariah's the same way. Has God worked mightily in his life? Yeah. There's a prophecy that comes from Isaiah that says, before this king comes, there's going to be one, like a one who cries in the desert, make straight the paths for the Lord. And there's going to be this precursor, this messenger. It's going to, his name's going to be John. And God has decided, no, you're going to have John. This is going to be, your wife's going to have him. And listen, he was very similar to Abraham and, and Sarah. Like, it wasn't happening without God. But it does, and all of a sudden, like, what? Isaiah 6? That's coming true with me? I'm going to be the dad of John, this messenger? Yep. Like, Boom, you're mighty. Like, they just start singing it. Because they have reason to. They know for sure how God has been good to them, and it just comes right out. I like that. So, verse 1, promise keeper. Verse 2, mighty. The next one is, has to do with, with God being unbelievably good to them, even though they are who they are. What, what does Mary say? The first thing, you have noticed, you're unbelievably mighty, but you've noticed the humble estate of your servant. Like, I'm nothing. How did you notice? And, and really, Zachariah is no different. I mean, he's, as I mentioned, he's a pastor. He's a priest. He's got a little congregation. He's, he's somebody, but he's sure not in the, inside the community of the people of God. He's not anywhere near the top. And if God was going to break his silence after 400 years, why would he pick these two? And that's the thing they can't believe. Here's what they can't believe. You <laughs> You noticed. You noticed me, and, and that's what God does. It, it's actually, and it's so what our heart needs. We talked about this in Recovering Redemption. What do you need to know? I don't care how slick and cool you are, how figured out you have it. What do you need to know? Forever, like a nonstop fountain, and you have to go to it all the time. You matter. You matter, and you get that with him. And they're feeling that, like, how did you notice? Which is what God does. Like, why would he go to those two? It doesn't make any sense. One of the reasons might be, when God's going to do something, does he use awesome people? <laughs> Typically not. Because when you use awesome people, then, then who can possibly get the credit? Well, they can. Like, well, I can see that he had some pretty good potential. But when you use people like, you know, 13-year-old versions like that nobody knows. They're like, nope, you. Everyone's like, wow. Then who will get the credit? 
God will get the credit. So he'll, he'll always do that sort of thing because he's, he's actually incredibly jealous and, and he's, he, he's, he wants the renown of his name to be lifted up. And when he does things like that, we do. So they're like, well, I can't believe it. So like, you're here and I'm down here, but you noticed. So what they're really singing, if you will, is about his graciousness. The definition of grace is undeserved favor. And there's not a, there's not a better picture of, of grace. Why would he use them? They, they deserved none of it, and yet he did, which is what God does. He never looks at us. It's always about him. And then he'll figure everything else out. And when you get this, when you really understand that he has been gracious to you, you will sing about it. It'll come out. It is what endears my heart to God, the fact that he would in any way use me, especially as I look over, if I've been up here for nine or 10 years and I sort it all out, I think about the body of work and what I've done and all that's going on, all the ups and the downs. Listen, you see me an hour a week and I am right now at my best. You get the, okay, there's a lot of hours in the week and you're getting my best hour. I'm never more spiritual than I am right now. And I'm not the only one in the room that that is true. Like you got, you're white knuckling it right now. You put it, you look, you look good. You look great. It's all together. You got 20 more minutes and you're like, whoo, who did it? You get the very best of me, but there's a whole lot more. And God knew the whole lot more. And even when he knew all of that, even before all this ever began, he's like, yep. It's, it's undeserved favor. And when you get it, and you're awake to it, it just, it bubbles out. And that's what, there's this grace. I like this next one. This would be kind of the fourth thing that I see in both of them. They both say, God, as part of their song, thank you for blessing me and thank you for not blessing them. Which is a little bit odd. It seems unchristian to sing that as part of your praise because we're supposed to like love our enemies and stuff. But they actually both say it, you know, like, she says, right? You, you picked me, and you didn't pick them. Thank you. Uh, Zechariah says it's a little different, but they both, she's like, I am humble, and you picked me, but you've also scattered the proud. So there's some people that are against her, and I don't know who she's talking about when she's singing about the proud. Thank you for being against the proud. But that would be the other side of it. It could be those people in her little town who judged her instantly, probably all the, you know, they come from the right side of Nazareth. They, they got all, you know, they got all figured out. They got the right husband, the kids, everybody's doing good, on a roll and all that. And, and it's all fine. And then Mary's like, eh, pregnant virgin. Yeah, right. And so as soon as they figure out pregnant virgin, they start in backbiting and gossiping and all that sort of stuff. And like, it just crushes her. And they think they're everything. And then in a moment, Gabriel shows up and is like, nope, picked you, not them. And she's like, yes. Turns out it's me, not you. Thank you for thinking of me and not thinking of them, right? And for Zechariah, it's probably Rome. He says in his song, oh, there's people that hate us, and it looks like you're going to get them. I mean, that, I'm a paraphrasing, but that, I just said I'm a paraphrasing, but I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> I was speaking too fast. I'm paraphrasing, and, it, and he's like, you're going to get them. It's probably Rome for him. 
So he's a pastor, he's got a little church, but there's a heavy hand over that. Do they let him practice their little religion? Sure they do, but make no doubt about it, there's this Roman hand. And who else is sharing the land that God gave Abraham with them? Rome. And, it, and it, he feels like this is it, this is it, you're going to do it. So I think what they're, what they're saying here, what they're singing about, if I were to put a word to it, is they are praising God's justice, that he is just, which means this, and never ever take this away from God that everyone will get what they have coming. We don't talk about that part. We talk about God's mercy and his love, and we talk about the cross, and he wants you, and everyone come, and he's just so great. He's a father, and he's got a huge heart and all this stuff, but he's also never, ever take this part away from God is that he decides at the end who gets what. Everything is measured against him, and he will judge everything. Every single one of you, myself included, will answer for their life and will answer to him for it. Now, when we go, it's appointed once for a man to die and then face judgment. So that's either coming now. We'll either get what we have coming now, which is a little what they're singing about. It looks like those people are going to get it while we're living, but sometimes it doesn't happen. Like all the evil seems to flourish here. And you're like, Come on, like give them what they deserve. But ultimately it happens here or there, but make no mistake about it, it will happen. Everyone will give an account. So when we go, it's gonna go one of two ways. You either go to give an account and your life is hidden with Christ because of your faith. And if it's hidden with Christ because of your faith, who gets the punishment for all of it? Christ does and it's actually already done. So when you go, the only thing you claim is Christ. I got nothing, I trusted. And it, but if, you're not, if your life isn't, covered with Christ, if you're not hidden in him because of faith, then who gets it? You do. Never take that away from him. He's a righteous judge and it's coming. Don't ever sit as someone who looks at the church from the outside and like, what a bunch of stupid sheep. Think, use your brain. It's a silly book. It's a goofy story. There's plenty of answers. Don't, I mean, it's easy to be frustrated with the church and look at it and say, I want no part of it. But don't be that person because, because this, this day is coming. Matthew 25, 32, this will happen. Before him will be gathered all nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. And on that day, I promise you, you'll be like, you want to be the sheep. So if you find yourself right now having any inclination, looking at all these mindless followers who don't think, they just trust, they're not even using their brains, and you, you find yourself frustrated with that and maybe walking away from it and just whatever, like get in with us. Because someone on the outside is like, you guys are ridiculous, what a bunch of sheep. I mean, that puts you in the goat camp and that's the camp you don't want to be in. Because... God is just, and everything will be paid for one way or the other. Never take that away from him. Never make him good old grandpa God who's just going to take us all because he's just so loving. Is he merciful? Yes. Where do we see his mercy most? The cross, willing to give his son for us. But at the same time, what is happening on the cross? Someone's getting crushed, which is justice. The cross is always two things. It's where mercy and justice crush, and Christ is in the middle. Never take that justice piece away from God. Always carry around a good, healthy fear. Healthy. 
So justice, they sing about his justice. And the last one they sing about, um, they call him Savior. Both of them include that in their song. And I won't go into that. I think we've kind of covered that, what they think and what they believe. And so the point is, they don't have to think about it. They know exactly how God has been good to them. And it just comes out. But I can't sing that song. I can sing it if you make me, which is kind of what happens in church. You know, you come in and you're like, God is great. God is a promise keeper. God is gracious. Like, you just have to sing along with it. How many of you just sing the words, but you don't really feel it? And I'm not even talking about the song necessarily, even the sermon itself. I tell you all that God is. Is it right and true? Is everything I said true about God? Absolutely. Can you sing it from the bottom of your heart just without thinking about it? Probably not. So you leave out of here and like, God's a promise keeper. God, think about it. You know, you can't. But here's what you can do. You can look at that and let it spur your own. Like, what goes off inside of you? Because if you're singing your own song, if you know exactly how God's been good to you, you'll sing it loud and proud. You'll sing it louder than you'll ever sing anything because it's in you. So think about it. How's he been good to you? That's how he's been good to them. How's he been good to you? Even if, all right, even if it's a bit of a desert. Sometimes going into the holiday, it's a bit of a desert. You're not exactly feeling like doing it. And I get that. I mean, that has been me, right? It's, I mean, I haven't been chipper. I haven't. Kidney stone, broke my truck. Jack broke his leg, cracked his top of his bone three days into football practice, crutches. Last thing that kid needed was something to slow him down. And he's got some surgery on Tuesday, just like, you know? And it just feels like, geez. And at the same time, it feels like everything's kind of uphill, and you don't have to look around very far, and like everybody else is like down here like, Life is so good. You're like, really? Yeah. Can I get a little downhill? You know, and so you're, you're in it. We're kind of in it. You know, that kind of that losing that savory saltiness, whatever. But, but even then, I've got a song. And I just thought about it. As I looked at theirs, like, what would come out of me? Without even thinking about it, I just scratched them down. And the first one is table. It has to do with this table up here. I love this meal, and we're going we're to take it today when we're done. I love this meal here. No matter, no matter how bad it gets, no matter what I get or what I don't get with God or apart from God, I never want to be uninvited to this table. I have sort of this fear in me because of my thoughts about God sometimes that I'll be uninvited to this table. And it always scares me back. Like I love, I never want to be uninvited to that because this meal is the meal that God gave us to cause us to remember all that he's already done for us. There's two parts of the meal. There's the bread and the cup. The bread is, he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So you remember his broken body for you. All of the, all of the, all of the rebellion that you've worked up in your life gets attached to him, and he was counted as a transgressor. He didn't do anything wrong, but he was counted for my transgressions. It's like watching someone get punished for what you did, and you know you're guilty. But he did that, and then here's the cup. Take this. This is my blood. It, it resembles or it, it signifies or symbolizes my blood because the wages of your sin, what it actually cost was death, and I went ahead and paid that. 
So you take those things to remember that it is finished, that it's all done. And because I did that and you've trusted it, you're free. You're free of it. It's like mercy new every day. And you can go be something new now. And I, I never, ever, ever want to not have that. But here's, like, I need that. I love that. And the thought of being, like, uninvited to that, like, I, I want to come back because I sort of, you know, I wonder, like, is it worth it? What's going on? Where are you? Why aren't you showing up? And, it, and what if I just walked away from all of it? But if I walked away from him, I know for sure, this is the first thought I have, that I would be walking away from this table, and I never, ever want to do that. Because if I walked away from this table, I would be walking to nothing. I don't have anything if I don't have that. And I know it in my heart. Like, I know it completely. I've got nothing if I don't have that. If I leave that, so I don't. I love that. It's easy for me to say, thank you. Thank you for what you've done for me. And I, I want all of it. I've taken it a couple times. This is our third service. You know what I say every time I, <laughs> it's finished. It's done. I love that. If you don't have that, what do you do? So I love that we're going to take this. Table is easy for me. Word, easy. I don't have to think about it. It's like table, word. And I don't know how these go together. None of these words rhyme. So to hear me sing it would be awful. I'm not going to sing it. It's, these are concepts, all right? Word. What would we do without it? What would I do without it? I easily thank him for that. It's how he talks. I heard from God last week. God spoke to me directly. I'm that guy today. He did. You know exactly, I can tell you exactly what he said and when. It was Tuesday. He said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, it's no longer good for anything, only to be trampled under the feet of men. And he said it right to me. How? I read it. <laughs> I read the Bible. How does God speak? Man, we need this. How does he talk? I got he gave us the word. Does he, does he wake you up in the middle of the night? Does he carry you away? Does he give you dreams? Does he give you visions? Maybe he does you. And I'm not saying he doesn't. So maybe that is you. And maybe that's part of what you would praise him for. But not me. I do, like, if I wake up in the middle of the night for something, usually it's, I'm going to go get something or something's coming for me. I'm not sure what it is. But it's, it's never that. That's how he talks. And I know for sure I'm able to say, I hear from God because I read the word. If you're someone who's like, I never really says anything. What? And it's not a book that just says something. Well, that book over there says this and this and this. It's how he reveals himself. It's how he tells us what he wants. It's how he corrects it. That's what I love about it. So when I heard that, I mean, I realized, listen, I've been walking around flat and foolish, graceless and insipid. And I, and I had a bad attitude. And just reminded that God said, listen, I don't really need you. I brought you into this. It was my grace. But you, you can just as easily, I'll trample you under the feet because I don't need you to do this. I just invited you in. So do you want to do it or not? I'm like, I'm back because I don't want to be that. And so I'm thankful for that. Like the word, it brings me back. What would we do if we didn't have it? Like it brings us back. I love that. It, I love the double-edged nature of it, it that it's, it's encouraging to me, but it's also correcting. And if I didn't have it, I wouldn't have either. If we didn't have it, what would we talk about? Nothing. 
So I'm thankful for that. Next one is my church family. Um, this is pretty easy just because I've really been blessed by you this year um, in very tangible ways, and I'm thankful. God always puts us as his people in very specific groups of people, church bodies, and he's never, it's never random or like, do whatever you want. It's always very specific, and the way it's supposed to work is this. This is 1 Peter 3, that he pours into me what he will pour into me according to the grace he's given, and then he pours into you what he will pour into you according to the grace he's given. And we all get different amounts of different things. And then we're supposed, to, we're supposed to come here and then we pour it one to another. And then I benefit from what he's given you and you benefit from what he's given me. And it works. We all come away blessed. And I have been. The Ringer family has been blessed by life community. Thank you. I, we absolutely have we've received from you and it has been good. And I'm It's easy. I don't want to lose that. It's easy for me to say thanks for. So thank you. Thank him for you to us. I'm not saying we don't have pockets of crazy. We do. I mean, I can see the pockets from here. (laughs) You're like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) We all got a little crazy going on, but I really am thankful. And the last one is, uh, for me, I'm just glad that It's easy for me to say, thank you for what's going to be. Because if I continue to follow him, I don't expect it. This is everything changed. Think about Mary. She's singing this song. What's in front of Mary? She's got like a long donkey ride, gets kicked out of an inn, having a baby in a cave, going to run for all this stuff. I mean, like, it's not, things aren't necessarily getting better for her. But in the midst of all that, can she pray? Can she pray? Absolutely. She can do all that. And so in the midst of what, I don't know. I'm just, I'm thankful that, that this isn't all there is. And I would say this, when you, when you start to think about your own song, what you're going to sing, because you can't sing this one either. When you start to think about, don't, um, don't just pick the low-hanging fruit. Like, don't just like, don't everything you can see. Thanks for the kids. Thanks for the house. Thanks for the car. I mean, you can do that. Say thanks for all those things, and that's fine. But we're told over and over in our own word, never put all your sight here. Always, what you're supposed to do with this life is give it away and leverage it for the next one. The next one's going to be great and eternal. This one's supposed to be given away, so that one is all that it can be. So when you think about this, don't always concentrate on like, give me this and you give me this and you give Even though he does, think about it. Because if it's only for this life, it says that we're to be pitied more than anyone else. Christians are to be pitied more than anyone else if following Jesus is supposed to bless you here. But it also says no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And so I find myself to be very grateful. Listen, if it isn't everything he says it's going to be, I'm an idiot. But if it is, and I'm believing that it is, It's easy for me to say thanks. Now, you can't sing that one either, but the challenge is, what is it for you? If you will just take a little bit of time and think about it, how has he been good to you? And just just scratch it out, write it down, and then like put some, that's your only homework really, just carve out a little bit of time and, and write it out, and then keep it central. Be the person in your family that keeps it central. So hang it on your Christmas tree, put it on your whatever. But keep it central so that there's a reason for you to celebrate God. It's very visible and it's right there. And so while you're celebrating everything else, 
you can still celebrate him. And it's not token. It's not like, you know, thanks for the food, which I'm glad we have it. But I'm saying it's more than that. It's bigger than that and make it central. And you have the opportunity to do that. So you got you to gotta write a praise song. <laughs> this is ridiculous. But I would never tell you to write, write a praise song if I didn't just explain it for the last 42 minutes. All right? Now you know what to do. So do that and be the one that's determined to keep God central this Christmas. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for the word today. Thanks for allowing us to see just bits and pieces, um, even more of who you are and all the reasons we do have to keep you central, but then call to mind the reasons that you've done for us. Remind us of your goodness to us that we could then keep them central in our own families and and celebrate you while we celebrate everything else. So do those good things for us. um, And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said.